doing? Good. It's good to be with you guys today. I am Christina, and um, my little family has been a part of Awakening since we became Awakening as our own church um, almost two years ago. So my husband is Steve. He's kind of a tall, blonde Greek guy. Maybe you've seen him around. Um, And we have three little kiddos. Our oldest is James. He's going to be in the second grade this fall. And then our little middle guy is Luca. He is four. And then we have a little baby girl who's a year and a half, Eleni. And she's my little spitfire. Um, And that's our little family. So we're kind of all around. We're kind of noisy. You can't really miss us. But um, Awakening is our family and our church home. And it's just a joy to be with you guys today. So thank you for letting me speak. Um, Today we are going to be concluding our series that we've been in called Unreligious. And I'm not sure... um, what all y'all summer has been like so far. For us, we've been traveling and we've been gone a little bit. So I want to do just a quick little review for those of us that maybe haven't been here every week, just to kind of bring you up to speed so you know exactly where we're at for this week. Sound okay? Awesome. Okay, so we're working our way through the book of Mark, and we've been through the first three chapters. Today we're finishing up the third chapter, but we've been almost all the way through. So let me take you back to the very beginning. We started our search in in Mark um, at the very beginning when John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Remember this? It was an awesome week that we talked about that. And then Jesus went out into the wilderness. He disappeared for a little bit. Um, And then when he came back, he got busy, and he was healing people, casting out demons, and making a group of people really uncomfortable. Do you remember this? The Pharisees, they don't know what to do with Jesus, and they're not liking him very much. Um, And as Alicia told us two weeks ago, they're already plotting to kill him because they are just, they're not liking what he's doing. So that's kind of where we're at in Mark. We have um, spent a week um, on Jesus healing a man with leprosy. Remember, this was a perfect example about how Jesus was completely unreligious because in that time, people with leprosy were cast out. They were sent away. They were unclean. You were not allowed to touch them or be within a certain number of feet with them. And what did Jesus do? He reached out his hand. He touched the man with leprosy and he healed him. And Jesus showed us right there, he did not really care about those laws or rules. He saw a person that needed to be touched and healed, and Jesus took care of business. And then two weeks ago, Alicia talked about Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Again, um, Jesus is breaking the rules. (laughs) He's in the temple, and the Pharisees are watching him to see what is he going to do. There's a man with um, a hand that's distorted, and Jesus again heals him by breaking the rules on the Sabbath, by actually doing some work. And he says, you guys remember this awesome line? No, okay, it's okay, I'll tell you. (laughs) You're awesome. The the, the Sabbath um, was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath, right? The true heart behind it is healing. It's restoration. It's oneness with God. That's what it's all about, super unreligious. And then last week, um, Ryan gave us just an awesome message about Jesus calling the disciples. And again, we see a rabbi who's breaking all the rules. Um, In that culture, in that time, when a rabbi goes to pick his disciples, who's he want to pick? The best, the brightest, the top. And what does Jesus pick? He picks everyday, ordinary people. He picks fishermen, just people that maybe weren't even the brightest and the most talented. He picks ordinary people, but one thing they all had in common, their response to Jesus. Yes, when he said, follow me, they've responded to him and they followed. And I think the line that um, Ryan said a time and again was this, that belonging to Jesus is simply dependent on our response to him. That we are fully accepted by God and that we belong to him, that we are his. And Ryan told us, y'all, it's not what we're doing. It's not what we're earning. It's nothing that we're accomplishing. It's just belonging to him. And that is where we find our faith in Jesus. 
So that's where we're at. Today we're going to be finishing up the last five verses of Mark 3. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead, um, if you have a Bible, to open to that. And if not, no worries, it's going to be up on the screen. And I want to read it for us. Here we go. We're starting in verse 31 of chapter 3 of Mark. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, Here, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is brother and sister and mother. Will you guys pray with me? Lord God, we know that your word is living and that it's active and that it's applicable to our lives. And so, Lord Jesus, in this moment, we invite you to come. God, we invite your Holy Spirit to just work in our hearts in the way that only you can. God, I pray that as we leave today, not a one of us will leave untouched or unchanged by you and your power and your love. In your precious name, amen. So, when Ryan sent me these verses that I was going to be preaching on, <coughs> excuse me, I have to be honest, I wasn't real crazy about them. First of all, there's like four verses. And so I replied, and I'm like, are you, sh- are you sure that's all, just four? Because, I mean, I'm a really windy talker, but like to get 30 to 40 minutes out of four verses is kind of a stretch here. And he said, no, that's what I want you to talk on. Um, and then he and I met for coffee to kind of chat through my outline a little bit. And I was really honest with him, which... You know, it's kind of vulnerable to be honest, but this is what I said. Ryan, I don't really like this. I don't I don't really like what Jesus is saying here. Because when I read this, what it seems to me like he's doing is he's dissing his family. And I'm kind of a big family person. I I have to be honest. I'm one of those people that um, I'm very blessed to be a part of an awesome family. Like, I know that that's kind of rare these days, but I am so blessed to be part of this family that, like, once a year we get together for this reunion, my dad's whole extended family, and cousins fly in. My cousin from Cambodia comes to the U.S., and my cousin from Mexico flies in, and there's 30 of us, and we're loud, and we eat, and we laugh, and we pray, and we have this family that, to me, is like a big deal. And so I, I kind of am big on family. And not only that, but I'm also a mother. So when Jesus says, who is my mother, it doesn't really sit very well with me. <laughs> like, I know you're the Lord of the whole universe, but don't diss the mama. Let's be honest. I mean, my life in this season of my life, like I said, I have three little people. And people, they dominate like every second that I'm awake and that I'm asleep. You know, it's amazing. Last night at 2 a.m., I have a a a one-and-a-half-year-old that just has to be in my bed, kicking me in the face. I mean, weekends, holidays, vacations, like, they are my world. They are my life, and they're precious, and they're so, so cute, and they're so needy. Lord, have mercy, they're needy, and they're hungry all the time. And I've wiped countless butts in my life, and so this being a mom thing, it's kind of a really big deal to me. I mean, even my body, like, post-becoming a mom is totally different. Like, there's scars. It's just being a mom is all-encompassing. So when Jesus says, who is my mother, I feel like he's dissing his mom, and I don't really like it very much. So here's what I had to do, because I had to preach on this, and I wanted to be honest. Um, I had to do a lot of work reading through these scriptures, doing some work with some commentaries, and really trying to figure out, okay, what is Jesus saying? What is he not saying? And what does it have to do with me? So what I want to do as a group today is just go through each of the verses together and then hit on those things. What is Jesus not saying? What is he saying? And what does it mean for us? Sound good? Okay, so let's dive in first off to verse 31. 
And to really kind of understand verse 31, I'm going to back us up just a teeny bit to verse 20. So as I said in our little review at the beginning, Jesus has been busy, right? He is healing people. He's casting out demons. He's making the Pharisees super grumpy and uncomfortable. He's busy. There's a lot going on. And when we meet up with him in chapter 3, verse 20, this is what it says. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. All right, maybe it's a mealtime, maybe they're hungry, I'm not sure what's going on. People are following him. Wherever he goes, people want to hear him teach. They want him to heal them. There's so many people he can't even eat. I love this. My mama's heart totally gets this. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, I can imagine Mary, she's thinking to herself, my son is not eating. This is what moms worry about. We worry about our children eating. Are they eating? And she's thinking, he's out of his mind. The family's not sure what's going on. They think he's out of his mind. First, he disappears into the wilderness. He's doing kind of strange things. People are talking about him and following him. They're going to go get him, all right? So then flip on over to verse 31, and guess what? They've arrived. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. All right, friends. His family does not get it. They do not understand what he's doing right now, do they? <laughs> they want to go get him and bring him home and shut him up, I think is what's going on, because he's kind of ruffling feathers. What Jesus is doing is so radical that even his family doesn't get it. They think he's a bit of a religious fanatic, and they're a little concerned about this. Now, I think we actually know what this looks like um, in our time, in our modern day. Here's what I think it looks like. I think perhaps this looks like someone who's young, feeling like the Lord puts a call on their heart, feeling like there's something radical and revolutionary that God is asking them to do. And I think sometimes parents, family, loved ones, friends, well-meaning people say things to them like, that is awesome. Why don't you get your degree first and then go do that? That's a great plan, right? Or, you know, let's, that's great. Let's go ahead and buy your house and get established, and then you could take that, that two-week trip to wherever it is you want to go. You don't really want to move there. You know, we kind of, sometimes what God is asking people to do in our lives, it just is so radical. We kind of, we don't mean to squelch it, but we just want them to use their brain, right? We just want them to have common sense. I mean, are you guys with me on this one? Do you see where I'm going? I think that's kind of what was going on here. I think Jesus and his family, they're, they're seeing Jesus, his family, they're seeing his humanity. They're seeing his humanness. They're not seeing him as the son of God. Okay, so that's kind of where the family is coming from in verse 31. Let's move on to verse 32. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. All right, this is the second time that Mark makes mention of where the family is. I think this is really important. Okay, in verse 31, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They are standing outside, and they sent someone in to call him. 32, a crowd was sitting around him inside. Okay, you guys getting the visual here? Crowd inside, family outside. Um, and the crowd sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. I think there's something important about the proximity of where people are, because usually in a home, where is the family? Inside. And where is the crowd of strangers and people? outside. Okay, we're seeing a little flip here, so let's make mention of that, a little flip of where people are. And then there's two Greek words in this context that I want to point out to you guys that I think really help us to understand kind of what the family's trying to do here. So first, in verse 31, um, the word kaleo, 
okay, friends, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not even really a Bible student, like in the institutional sense. I wish I was. Someday when I'm done changing diapers, I want to do that. But now I'm not. But I had to listen online to like the pronunciation of these, so I wouldn't say it wrong. Just letting you know. I was afraid there'd be like a Spanish accent or something, because that's the extent of my language. But the Greek word kaleo in verse 31, this is the word that's used for when they're calling to him when the family's calling to him. Now, this isn't just like a loud voice I'm calling, hello. This is like a very specific calling, as if I was at the playground with my children and I say to my four-year-old, Luca, come here, it's time to go, right? Come to me, I am calling to you. There's an assumption here of authority, of power, and an expectation of a response. Does that make sense? This is the calling his family is doing. They're calling to him, expecting him. They're asserting a claim of authority over him. And then in verse 32, when it says they're looking for him, the word here is zeteo. And this word Mark uses 10 times in his gospel. Each time he uses it, it's used to gain control over something. You're looking for something, not like looking on the horizon to see what you can see, looking for something to find it, to have it. Does that make sense? So what do we see in these words? We see that Jesus' family is assuming they have some kind of authority over him. That they have a right to him and that he will honor it. So when they're calling to him, they're expecting him to come out. What I want us to kind of observe about this is just this relationship between the people on the outside that are assuming something and the people on the inside who are unassuming that are sitting with Jesus. Okay, let's move on to verse 33. Because in verse 33, Jesus' response is this. Who are my mother and my brothers? So they're assuming ownership over him. He quickly denies that. Who? Who are my mother and my brothers? I don't necessarily think he's like trying to insult them, but I think he's trying to make a statement. So then verse 34 and 35. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now for some of us, this is gonna hit us a little bit differently when we read this. Um, I know I told you guys it kind of ruffles my feathers because I'm a mom. But even more than that, it's not really shocking to me that he says this, and let me tell you why. I was born in the church. I was raised in the church. I have been called a sister in Christ. I have heard the phrase that the Lord is my heavenly father, that we are the body of Christ, that we are a family. These are terms and lingo that I know very well because this is what we use in our Christian family. Does that make sense? So for me, this isn't shocking. For some of you, it might be because you're kind of new and you're like, what are they talking about? I'll get there. Um, And then for some of us, I think our response can even almost be a little painful. Like maybe our family um, is kind of crummy. Honestly, maybe our families are just full of conflict and pain. Maybe there's abandonment. Maybe there's abuse. And so when we hear the word family coming up in regards to Jesus, it just, it's not, it just doesn't sit well with us. You know, I mean, that's really the reality of it. Um, but in our Western culture, family is so much family of our origin, where we came from. Our family raised us, and then they sent us out. You know, it's not uncommon that when um, an 18-year-old in our culture graduates from high school, they leave our city, they leave our state, they leave our country, they go off to college. Not always, but that's, you know, that's not unheard of. That's not strange. We, we applaud that. I mean, we love independence and we love individuality. And these are the things that we value in our culture. And so for us, that's acceptable. We have to understand that the family of the Jewish culture that Jesus is speaking to here, that is not their view of family. 
Not, not at all. So when they hear these words that Jesus is saying, when he says, whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother, these words are scandalous to them. These words are shocking to them. It's probably very perplexing. They're like, well, nah, no, it's not. We know your brothers. They're outside. Like, this is not, you know, it's, they, they don't hear this the way they hear this, you know, because their view of family is so different. I want to read to you from N.T. Wright um, in a commentary that he wrote. This is how he describes Jewish family. And I, this really helped me to understand because before I know this, the passage just doesn't make the same sense. So this is what he says. The family bond was tight and long-lasting in this Jewish community. As with many non-Western cultures today, it was normal for children to live close to their parents, maybe even in the same house. The family unit would often be a business unit as well, sharing everything in common. What's more, for Jews, the close family bond was part of the God-given fabric of thinking and of living. Loyalty to the family was the local and specific outworking of loyalty to Israel as the people of God. Break that link and you've undermined a major pillar in the way that Jews in the first century um, think and feel about the world and themselves. But as Mark has already shown us, Jesus was quite capable of challenging the symbols that lay at the heart of the Jewish sense of identity. We know that, don't we? Family solidarity was up there with Sabbath observance, the food laws, and other signs of Jewish identity. It meant one was being loyal to their ancestral heritage and thereby to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Friends, family in this culture is family like we don't really necessarily understand it. Family is your ancestral heritage. This is your people. This is your God. This is your faithfulness to, to the God that you know and that you've seen working through the generations through your family. Family was a really big deal. So what Jesus is saying here is flipping things upside down. It's extremely unreligious. It's extremely shocking what he's saying. Another thing that he's saying here that's a bit shocking in verse 35, and I personally love this, he makes point to mention that sister. He says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, women in this culture did not have a lot of rights. They weren't seen as having a whole lot of value. So for Jesus to include women in his inner circle, to make point to say it, and Mark made a point to write it down, friends, this was extremely awesome. <laughs> this made a statement of how Jesus felt about women, where women belonged. He's saying they belong right here at my feet listening to me. They are a part of my inner circle, and I absolutely love that. So we're in 35. Um, another thing that kind of tripped me up, and this is just my personal thing. I'm sharing all, all sorts of personal things. But when it says, whoever does God's will, it kind of at first panics me. Does anyone hear the words God's will and they get like a little bit like, oh my gosh, what's God's will? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's so funny, but for some reason the word God's and will, like what comes with it is like these great question marks as if it's like this great question of the ages. Like who knows what God's will is? I don't know what God's will is. Like I have to search for it. I have to hunt for it. It, it can feel a little bit overwhelming, you know? Like when someone asks you, well, have you prayed about it? Do you know God's will? You feel like, well, I, I don't know what God's will is. Here's what I love. The story of Mark, this exact same story is told both in Matthew and in Luke, and it's told a little bit differently. And the way that it's told in Luke, I love it, because it answers that question perfectly. In Luke 8:21, this is how Jesus says it in stuff. He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Hear God's word and put it into practice. God's will. Wow, guys, isn't that awesome? <laughs> It kind of takes all the questions out of it, takes it nice and simple for us. All right, so that's our passage.
let's chat about what Jesus is not saying and what I think Jesus is saying. Now, these are my observations and these are my thoughts. This is not the truth. So please feel free to disagree with me and to work this one out with God. I just want to be real honest with that one. So here's what I think Jesus is not saying. Um, you know, I had my little rant at the beginning about being a mother and feeling like Jesus is dissing his family. I don't think he actually is at all. I don't think Jesus is saying that there's no uh, responsibility to family. I don't think that he's undermining the gospel, I mean, the commandment to honor your father and mother. I don't think that it is at all what he's doing. And there's a couple reasons I think that's true. Um, in Mark 7, just three chapters forward, we find a situation when Jesus and the Pharisees are duking it out again, because this is going to happen a bit. Um, and the Pharisees are upset with Jesus because the disciples are not following the law about hand washing before they eat, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Jesus responds to them, and he gets right at the heart of the issue, not the law, the heart of the issue. And he's accusing them of not following the commandment to honor their father and mother. And this is a big deal to him. And he talks about what's called the Corbin vow. And what people could do is with some money that they had, they could give this money to the temple, to God. But this was specific money that should have been designated for parents, for family, to take care of parents. And what the Pharisees were saying that they were doing, what they were encouraging people to do, was instead of taking care of their family, instead of honoring their parents with this money, giving it to their parents, they could give it to the temple, give it to God. And this gave them a little more prestige. It made them look good in front of people. It made them look sacrificial. And in the process, what Jesus is saying is, no, you're not honoring your parents. You're doing something to get prestige, and you're not honoring your parents as God asked you to do. So that's just three chapters ahead. So I feel like, okay, if, if Jesus makes a point to make a big deal of that, I don't think he's telling us here to stop honoring our family. I don't think that's what he's doing at all. Another thing um, that I love is that we know Jesus provided for Mary. All the way on the cross, we know that Jesus provided for Mary. In John 19, it says this, as Jesus is on the cross, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he said, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. See, Jesus knew that he was the oldest son. He knew that his father was no longer around. He knew it was his responsibility to care for Mary, or nobody necessarily would. That was his job as the firstborn son. And on the cross, he goes to the extent to make sure she is cared for. So I don't think when Jesus says, who is my mother, he's not really dissing his mom. He's not really throwing away Mary. He's just making a statement about something else. I also don't think that Jesus is dismissing his family from his ministry. Okay, we know that at that time, they think he's a little crazy town. They want to get him and bring him home and tame things down a little bit. Um, but we know that his family is actually a really active part of his, of his ministry going on. Um, in Acts 1.14, on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus ascends into heaven, we know that the disciples, in one, Acts 1.14, it says this, they, the disciples, all join together in community, constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. See, that, that same group is showing up again, and they're right in the middle of the action. They're not on the outside there. So Jesus is not excusing him from his ministry. He's not saying, no, nah, I don't want my family to be a part of this at all. Um, and then even when the book of Mark was written 40 years after um, the resurrection of Jesus, um, do you know who the leader was of the church in Jerusalem? It was Jesus' brother. His brother James was the leader. So we know his family is totally there. They're just not there yet. So that's what Jesus isn't saying. I don't think he's saying, this my family, I'm done with them, no responsibility to them. They can't be part of what's going on. That's not at all what they're saying. What is Jesus saying? Here's what I think he is saying. I think what Jesus is doing is I think he's redefining what family is in the kingdom of God. I think he's totally changing how things were, and he's redefining it. He's saying this is what you knew family to be, 
this awesome, binding, loyal, safe, safe institution, this family, these people that have your back and you share land and you share money and you share history and you share heritage and you share a God, he's taking that and he's saying, and this is what the body of Christ is gonna look like. This is what it's gonna look like for everyone. Jesus is introducing a new community of believers, a universal church and a spiritual family Jesus is actually, I believe, elevating the relationship of what family is. He's not dissing it. He's not putting it down, but he's really elevating it. And, friends, he's inviting all of us to be a part of it. In Luke 8, 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That is an invitation for us to be a part of this. His family are those who hear his words and obey it. He's inviting us into something that was so sacred and so beautiful. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? I love this quote by James Edward. He says this in response to these verses. There are only two kinds of people. Those who sit on the inside at Jesus' feet and those who stand on the outside with false assumptions. If even Jesus' family, this holy family, if even Mary, Mary, I mean, remember Christmas? Remember Mary? Remember this young child who responded to God, who submitted herself to the will of God and bore a child and changed the whole scope of every dream she would have ever imagined? If even obedient Mary is called into question, what does that mean for us? I think we need to take pause about this for a second and really think about this. I think perhaps some of us maybe consider ourselves close to God. Maybe some of us, like the family, think there's a relationship. Maybe there's some assumptions there. Now, I don't want to be accusatory because this finger's going directly at me as well. But I feel like perhaps there's some times when we've lived a life that honors God Maybe we've grown up in a church, we've been baptized, maybe we've been confirmed, we've been true to our traditions, we serve and we're in community. Maybe sometimes we feel like God owes us something. Maybe we feel like there's, there's something there, like the family did, like that when we call, we expect him to respond. I hear this sometimes in my prayer life, you know, like, God, we're faithful to you. We'll do anything you say. Please don't ever let our kids get sick. I would just die if that happened. I'll be so faithful to you. Almost like I'm bartering something. Almost like I'm expecting something from God. And I wonder if maybe some of us sit there. Perhaps we have these false assumptions about what Jesus owes us. But friends, what does Jesus tell us it takes to be an insider? Listening to Caleb? voting like a Christian would, having a bumper sticker on our car. <laughs> no. Following laws, like the Pharisees, being observant of the rules all the way to the T of the T and the dot of the I. No. Is it actually sharing the same blood as Jesus, being a sibling of his? Is that what it takes to be an insider? No. Jesus makes it very, very clear that anyone who sits at his feet and does the will of his Father, those who hear God's words and put them into practice, 
Those are the insiders. That is true discipleship. See, friends, in this Jewish religion that they were practicing of so many laws and rules and religious sticklers, Jesus is simplifying everything. He's turning this religion upside down. He's making access to God easy. He's making God accessible and personal, just like family. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel like I make this Christianity business a little hard. Like, maybe I really like a little checklist of things I have to do so that when I check them off, I feel like I've accomplished something. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying here. It's not legalistic. It's not stressful. Jesus simplifies our role while elevating family. I think this is really good news, friends. Really good news. I'm just going to invite the band to come up as I talk into this last part. Because I want us to not leave without really thinking about how this story applies to us. Um, It's great to read scripture, um, but unless we allow it to change our hearts, um, we leave unchanged, and I don't really feel like we've allowed the Lord to do what he wants to do. So here's what I want to ask you to do. As you visualize this story, as you visualize Jesus sitting, crowds around him, so many people needing him that he can't even eat, his family standing outside, calling to him with these assumptions, and the crowd sitting at his feet, men and women, young and old, people sitting there wanting to listen to him. I want to ask you where you find yourself. To think about this. Where do you find yourself? After last service, a woman that I love dearly came up to me and she said, you know what? I'm standing in the doorway. And I hadn't even thought of that, (laughs) but I love that. She said, even after years of being a believer and loving Jesus, I have some assumptions of what he owes me and things that have gone wrong that I blame on him. She said, I'm just in the doorway. I loved that honesty. So I want to ask you that same question. Where do you find yourself? Because friends, there's great hope in this story. There's great hope for the orphan. There's great hope for us, those of us that have families that are a little bit nasty or painful. There's hope of a spiritual family, an everlasting family. And for those of us that have awesome families, consider yourself lucky that you've just seen a little glimpse of what the kingdom of God's family is like. Because Jesus is inviting all of us to be his brothers and his sisters and his mother to be a part of this rich and deep and sweet family that's everlasting. And this is not a religious Jesus. (laughs) This is a very unreligious Jesus. 